This is Dicecape Podcast. We begin with a close-up shot of a man's face. He has short, reddish-brown hair and a thick five o'clock shadow. His eyes are sharp. But as we push in on his eyes, we see they hold things that only those who experience the horrors of the emergence war would understand. We see his eyes are focused on something below as we push out to see him writing on a piece of parchment paper. His writing is jagged, an ever-present shake to his hand. As we continue to push out to a wider shot of the space, we see the man sitting in a quaint living room wearing a simple flannel shirt and dark slacks. He resides in a worn chair. Outside, newly installed electric streetlights cast an evening glow in through the window. The fireplace crackling next to where he sits. We see him take the letter, folding it in half before sliding it into an envelope. As he does, we hear the sound of small footsteps as a little girl with curly red hair and a sunflower yellow dress runs toward the man before jumping onto his lap as he drops the letter on the floor. We watch as the little girl wraps her arms around him, squeezing the man tightly. Night, Dad. Love you. I love you too, sweetheart. We hear a woman call from the opposite side of the room where the little girl entered. Come on, Elizabeth. Time to get washed up and ready for bed. Elizabeth releases her grip around the man's neck and looks toward the sound of the voice. We see standing in the doorway a woman. She has a clean, timeless look about her. The kind of woman who ages gracefully, her curly red hair down just past her shoulders, resting upon the light blue dress she wears that complements her feminine frame. You heard, Mom. Get going. Elizabeth smiles as she hops off his lap, running to the door to the hallway past her mother as we hear her little feet clamping up the stairs. We watch as the woman approaches the man in his chair with grace, kneeling to pick up the envelope on the floor. We catch a glimpse of the name as she hands it back to the man in the chair. It is addressed to Sergeant Dominic Kaminsky. James, you should invite him over for dinner sometime. Maybe. Um, I, I don't want him to. I don't want him to think I, I feel bad for him, and I just wouldn't want to offend Sarge. I, I never. I never got to tell him how much I appreciated everything he did for, for me and in the war, and I wouldn't have made it back to you, Judy, if it wasn't for him, and we wouldn't have our sweet little girl. Uh, he didn't. We see James' eyes grow cold, a hollowness in him as he stares towards the fire. Judy sits on his lap, taking his face in her hands, kissing him on the forehead before looking him in the eyes, which seems to bring him back to the present. You all right? I'm right here. We see Jameson nod to her. Invite him over. Let's make him a nice cook meal and show him how much he means to our little family. Jameson does not speak, but nods to Judy. A soft smile on his face as she raises his hand to place on hers, squeezing it warmly. Judy releases her hold on Jameson and gets up, kissing him on the cheek before walking toward the doorway. And James, she turns back to face him as he looks towards Judy, his demeanor still stuck in between the present and a memory. You should have a shave. You're a little rough around the edges. We watch as James rubs his beard and smiles toward her. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Always. 
She smiles, giving a playful wink toward him before turning to head upstairs, the sound of her footsteps in the distance. We see James pop the letter open, adding a line at the bottom of his letter that reads, Judy would love to have you over for dinner and love for you to meet my sweet Elizabeth. He folds the letter, placing it back in the envelope as he gets up and makes his way upstairs. We cut to James standing in front of a mirror as he looks at his reflection. He reaches for a small porcelain container and a shaving brush. He lathers his face in a white foam before reaching for a straight razor. His hands are shaking as he lifts the razor to his face. But as he begins pulling it across, we see a shift. His hand steadies. Each stroke of the blade across his face is precise like a surgeon. As James finishes the last movement upon his face, rinsing the foam from his blade before placing it back in his container, closing it shut. He rubs his chin, now smooth, as he stares at his reflection in the mirror. His head still, but his reflection smiles wide, tilting its head. James closes his eyes, shaking his head as he opens them again and stares at himself once more. He rubs his chin again, the reflection doing the same. We hold there for a moment, James' eyes wide, unblinking as he stares. He leans closer to the mirror, reaching toward it. As his fingertips touch the mirror, it cracks in various places, splintering outward from where his finger touched. As he looks into the cracked mirror, he sees a dark shadow looming behind him. He turns quickly, trying to react, but as he does, the shadow reaches toward him, thin, gaunt arms with clawed hand wrapped around his neck, lifting him to where his head almost touches the ceiling. The shadowy creature's other hand emerges from its body, reaching towards James' face, enveloping it in shadow before slamming him into the door. As this happens, we cut to Judy, reading to Elizabeth, who is fast asleep, as she hears a faint thud in the distance. We watch as she looks nervously in that direction, placing the book down, a sense of trepidation in her eyes as she quickly heads in the direction of that sound she just heard. We follow Judy as she passes through the doorway to James in her bedroom where the bathroom is connected. The doors close as she reaches it. James? James, is everything okay? No response. Judy reaches for the doorknob, shaking it, trying to open the door, but there is resistance against it. She starts banging on the door. James, this isn't funny. She pushes hard against the door, putting her shoulder into it as the door gives. Collapsing to the floor, we see James' body, his face looking in the opposite direction than Judy. She drops to her knees and grabs James to face her as we cut to a close-up of Judy's face as we see absolute terror washing over her. She lets out a screech of horror stumbling backwards toward the door. From the hallway, we hear the familiar pitter-patter of tiny footsteps as Elizabeth calls out. Mommy? Mommy, what's wrong? Judy stands, pulling Elizabeth into her arms, holding her head against her shoulder. But Elizabeth takes a peek, and her eyes go wide, unblinking. As we shift away from that moment in time, we watch a horse-drawn carriage pulled by two well-kept hackney horses, the coachman pulling up the reins as they come to a halt. As we move to the side of the carriage, we watch the door on the side swing outward as four figures emerge. The Circle of Dawn's Macabre. 
and their newest member, Victor Crow, who joined Candela two months prior. As we draw our attention back to the surroundings, the first thing that seems out of place is that the sun is shining today, a rare occurrence here in the city of Nevermore. The warm rays of the sun highlight the lush green lawn and manicured garden outside the Nevermore Veteran Hospital. We hear birds chirping and the faint smell of fresh cut grass fills the air as the group stares upon this brutalist architecture of the stark white hospital before them. We see the hospital is broken into three buildings connected by enclosed skyway bridges, each building standing 10 stories tall. As we cut back to the circle of Don's macaw, we draw our focus to Marvin and Dominic. Standing here for the two of you is a reminder of how lucky you were compared to those that passed through the doors of the Nevermore Veteran Hospital. A lot of good people, soldiers you knew, ended up here. Some healing and able to return home while others would call this home until their final days. I hate coming here. I hate it. As do I. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. Even though the sun's out, there's just like a shadow at this place. I don't know. I, I want to be here for James, but it's it's not it's not easy. Uh, when I saw his name in the dossier. Makes me want to check on everybody else in the squad. Do you ever miss it over there? There were a few days. There was a couple good ones, yeah. It wasn't all bad. Strange sometimes. I think our minds make us feel that way for a short amount of time when we're over there. I don't think they'd survive otherwise. Our minds, I mean. Yeah, not many did. We're kind of lucky. I think that's the other reason I hate coming here. I feel a bit guilty. Do we even know where the rest of the squad is? I haven't seen them in years. It might be a, an idea to look them up after this, for James's sake. As you two have this conversation amongst yourselves, standing there, just observing the area, Victor, you feel this cold shiver kind of go up your spine, the hair on the back of your neck stand as the sunshine fades for a bit as this cloud passes by, offering some shade. As it does, Victor, something draws your attention to these three figures you can see walking in the garden in front of you. You see a woman pushing a man in a wheelchair and a young boy. As you look toward them, you feel this tether pulling you to approach, to speak with them. In what feels like a blink of an eye, Victor, you are standing in front of these people. The woman pushing the chair is elegant. Her hair just a little shorter than her shoulders. You see she's wearing this nice green dress and a yellow cardigan, and next to them, a young boy, probably 11, 12 years old. You see he's wearing these navy blue pants and this red top. And then you look to the individual in the chair. You see a brute of a man, or at least once was, in a hospital gown. His body frail, his face sunken and emaciated, his eyes heavy, the golden hair upon his head thinning, a face you know. As you look into this person's face, you hear Dominic calling in the distance. Looking up, you see Dom, Arthur, and Marvin waiting for you at the entrance to the hospital. Oh, I, I'll be right there. Uh, Victor will kind of take a moment to collect himself, not quite sure what just happened, but some feeling of wanting to interact and to talk with these people still lingers. 
but he takes a second he kind of takes in the the light and the the feeling of the the warm sun on his skin and he'll start a little stroll over to everybody else when he gets up there he'll ask uh, so how do these things normally go should i expect anything what do these kind of things look like that's a good question expectations are they're not on the table here i can't tell you to expect anything the best thing to do is to keep an open mind not the problem I, I can keep an open mind you say that now as you have this conversation you open the door entering the hospital here and victor as you look back past your group towards the garden you see no signs of those individuals hmm we follow you in to the central lobby area here you see a woman in her early 40s hold herself confidently, a smile on her face, approach you. She's wearing nice attire, seems very formal. Arthur, it's good to see you. Um, I'm sorry, I, I need to introduce myself to the rest of you. I'm Dr. Michelle Lappin. Good to meet you all. It's a, it's a pleasure as always, Dr. Michelle. I'm assuming you're here to uh, show us around? Yes, I know you're here to see Private uh, Jameson McKinley. Um, if you head down that hallway, and she points in the direction of the sky bridge that heads to the western building. Across the bridge, uh, take a right at the end, and he's in the fourth door down on the left. How does he look, Doctor, in your opinion? It's interesting. Something I have not ever seen. The war ended long ago, and many soldiers that returned from the atrocities that happened there, I... If I told you... It may be hard to believe. I think it is best to see for yourselves. Thank you. And I'll shake her hand and start walking. As you walk toward the Skyway, heading in the direction of Jameson's room, Marvin and Dominic, you would know the West Building here at the Veterans Hospital is where they typically will keep soldiers that suffered some affliction from the horrors you face in the emergence war or those exposed to bleed. And hearing what the doctor had said to your group, there's that sense of what now? What, what is still remaining from the war that could do something to put a soldier in this ward again? Marvin, what if, what if we never went over there? What if we never went to fight them? Would they have gotten this far? Look what's happening now. What was the point of the war? Oh, I shouldn't say that in this building. Pardon me. No, I think it would have been much worse, but I don't understand how James is needing Westward care. I don't, I don't get it at all. I'm not looking forward to seeing him. I thought he was one of the ones that was unscathed from any of those type of things. Arthur, you read the briefing. Did they include any details on like what happened? Other than the fact that, like, we're supposed to investigate? Um, I believe past possible supernatural disfigurement happening. I think the rest is a bit up to us to figure it out, but... I definitely think he's probably in the right ward, from what you all have said. Reaching the room, you see that the door is slightly ajar. The warm light of the sun shines through the door where it is open. As you enter in, you would see Jameson sitting in front of the window in slacks and a t-shirt looking outside, the sun brightly shining upon his face. You see next to him a table with a pad of paper and pen and a glass of water with a straw in it, the sun reflecting a rainbow on the wall just adjacent to him. As you walk over, you have to almost shield your eyes from the way the sun is shining into this room. 
Jameson, he doesn't look away or seem to be bothered by it. As we get closer, Dominic is going to try to suck it up himself and put on the best face possible. Uh, he's going to brace himself and then he's going to, as cheerfully as he can muster, say, Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? You got a room all to yourself, eh? As you say that, we watch as James turning to face in the direction of Dom's voice as you get a full view, quickly realizing there is no face. Flat, nearly featureless, as skin covers where his eyes would be, his nose two small slits, his ears just holes, and where his mouth would be a slit no bigger than a half inch. Dominic's gonna squeeze Marvin's shoulder suddenly and, and hard, which uh, for someone like Dom is the equivalent of fainting. Hey James, is the sun feeling pretty good? He doesn't react at first, but then there's a, a slight nod as he reaches out, trying to find roughly where you all are at in this room. I'll put up my hand. He holds on it and he squeezes and just like cups his hand around Marvin's and just pats the top of Marvin's hand. Look how fast you found it. See, you're already a pro. He nods as you see him with his other hand, he reaches over to the side table next to him until you see his hand touch the pen and paper and he grabs it. His hand's shaking as he starts to write something on the piece of paper. And as he finishes, he taps his finger on the, on the pad of paper. Dominic is gonna let Marvin read it first. He can't look. I'll, I'll take a look at it. As you look at the pad of paper, it simply says, keep my family safe. Safe from what? I'll rip off that piece of paper and give him the pen and paper again. He takes the pen and he starts writing a bit faster, more jagged. Uh, it's almost not legible, but you're able to pick out what he's writing as he hands it back towards you. It says, whispers at night saying they're coming for us, the ones we love. They know we took something of theirs, the thing we found in the collapsed bunker. As he hands the paper back to, to Marvin, Marvin, you being the only one that has seen this, you would know what Jameson is referring to. The amulet you discovered resting atop the strange obelisk in that bunker you were all hiding in when you were getting overwhelmed. I'm going to grab that out of Jameson's hands and uh, crumple it up. Um, I think you might be mistaken. That can't be right. Um, maybe it was... Maybe it was a different kind of creature. He reaches again and he starts just writing more. Dominic is going to look now and I'll let Marvin decide how he's going to react when uh, Dominic turns to start reading, having steeled himself now. I think I'm a little slow to react at this point. I, I don't think I've made a grab for it quick enough to stop you. The part that you see says, no, it was them. Alejandro, David, and I saw you take it. We didn't think much of it, but it was them. They want it back, he writes, and he's like hitting the paper as he hands it to you. Marvin, we we gotta go. We have to go to everyone's house. And, you know, Dominic is not happy with himself, having not looked at the first two. He's visibly berating himself inside for being a coward for a short while. It's this setting. There's something about this hospital. What did that last one say? I didn't see the first one. I'll explain it later. I don't want to upset James any further. Obviously, he's he's quite worried about us and the squad. 
you would see James put the pad of paper and pen on his lap and reach for the water and almost knock it off the table as he reaches for it. I'll, I'll grab the water and give him a little straw. Here you go, James. And you see the water go down in the glass just ever so slightly. And you see it's a struggle to, to even sip the water, the struggle of swallowing the water. And he again goes to reach where he heard Dom's voice as he grabs his pad of paper one last time. Dom, being himself again, he reaches over to uh, put his hand on Jimmy's shoulder. Although it's not easy. He wants to be there for Jimmy, but he's just beside himself here. He just puts his his hand on on Dom's uh, as he begins to write a message on the pad of paper. As he does, we cut away from that moment to Victor and Arthur. I think Victor doesn't really know how to assert himself in the situation. So he's kind of eyeing for like either a moment to, to say something or he doesn't really know if it's his place to say anything because it seems obvious that they have some sort of personal connection and he doesn't necessarily want to jump in as this outsider and start asking questions. So he, he kind of just stays and stands back and he, he looks at Arthur and he says, Do you know what they are talking about? Not really, to be honest. I've kind of just been trying to go over the case files. It's, I don't know about you, but I kind of don't feel like I can really even walk up there in good conscience. I feel like I just kind of have to stay back here, let them handle it. I've kind of hushed my voice and I'm kind of looking how he's looking with everything that seemed to have happened. I, I think we're probably in the right place, but Victor, if I can ask you for a moment, you've been with us for a little while, and I don't see it very often, but uh, when we got out of the car, you, you didn't seem to be with us there for a minute or two. Is everything all right? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I see a multitude of things every day, and some are quite weird, and some are more normal, I guess you could say, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I was distracted. I, uh, saw these people. I, I don't know. I, I thought they were just hospital staff, somebody walking around the grounds, but I, I found myself in front of them before I was even moving. And before I knew it, I was back where I was standing and they were no longer to be seen. I, it felt so real, but but they weren't there. What's, uh, what's your gut say? My gut, I think they were dead. I don't think they were not real, but I don't think they were physically there. I, I think I was having a, like a vision of sorts, but uh, with these kind of things, the reason why and the answers I seek are not quite visible yet. Well, Victor, um, you have a very special gift, and I would like to qualify it as a gift. And I think it's important that you trust your gut. It's what makes you special, what makes you good at what you do. So how about uh, before we leave, we at least um, take the long way out and pass by where you may have seen that, see if we can pick up anything. I appreciate you doing this. Um, It sounds good. Should we tell the others? If we do, let's let's wait till after. They look like they have their hands full. I can say uh, I need a body break, and I will divert 
<laughs> I mean, that could work. I would once again advise probably not going off by your lonesome. Oh, yeah, that, okay, well, maybe we both need to have a body break. Uh, how about a smoke break? How about that? Oh, you know, I think that's probably, so we go outside, or? Yeah, I'm not very good at coming up with lies, so I, I don't, yeah, that sounds more probable for two people to go. Get a smoke break. Yeah. All right, um, I'll walk up real quick. Um, I'll go ahead, give Dom a whisper. Let him know we're stepping out. Um, I do have to take a, a, a quick body break, but then I, I, I will go. We'll stop at the bathroom first, and then we'll make our way. Okay, but, yeah, that sounds um, good. Okay. You can just say smoke break. I'm, I'm sorry. I, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 <clears throat> and then I'll just, I'll go up and whisper in Dom's ear, um, we're going to step out for a smoke break real quick. We'll be outside if you need anything. Understood. And I'll uh, pack up my little bag and uh, walk outside with Victor. As Victor and Arthur leave the room here, Jameson puts the pen down, grabbing Dom's hand, squeezing it tightly as he hands the pad of paper up to him. Tell Judy and Elizabeth I love them. He goes to wipe a tear on his face, but his hands drop to his side as he kind of slumps over, defeated. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll tell Judy. Uh, I'll tell Elizabeth. But they know. They know you love them. We're going to figure this out. Hearing himself say that, it's just a punch in the gut because he doesn't believe it. He nods. It's not an enthusiastic. It's a acknowledgement nod. But you can see he's still just slumped over. Is home safe for them? He writes that they visited yesterday, but they're home. I don't know if they're safe. Um, so... Dominic is going to try to hide the welling panic in his chest. Like, of course they're not safe there. But he can't let James know that he's that worried. Because he knows what it feels like to be helpless when your family's in danger. Um, James, we're going to go and uh, ask some more questions elsewhere in the hospital. Uh, and then we're going to go. He's just trying to tell him that he's not in a hurry to get to his place. However, it's a lie. And... Dominic wants to leave right away. All right, James, you're, you're going to feel better. We'll, we'll figure this out. James nods a little bit more receptive in this moment and just goes back to letting the sun hit his face from the window. Dom doesn't linger. Come on, Marvin. I'll be right there. Dom pauses, looks at Marvin, but he nods and he goes. I'll walk up to James's ear and just whisper, James, I know what you think you saw, but that can't be what it was. So just think about it more. Tell us what really happened. We're going to go make sure everyone's safe. Don't, don't give up, okay? We're going to find a way. And I'll, I'll walk out. As you like turn, he tries to grab you by the wrist, but he misses and just sits back in his chair. As we cut away from Marvin, we shift outside to Victor and Arthur. As you go out the front door, the sun's still shining. You walk down the pathway to this beautiful garden space. You see bees buzzing around as they collect pollen and go from flower to flower. I think as we walk out, I actually do pull out a little pack of smokes and flip it open, pop it in my mouth, and kind of hold the pack over to Victor if he wants one. Yeah, Victor uh, reaches in and takes one. 
pulls out a, uh, a little matchbook and lights one. And with the lit match still lit, he will kind of motion over or hold it in front of Arthur to light his cigarette as well. I'll take it and then I'll uh, take a big drag and turn to him and say, all right, Victor, we're in your expertise now. What'd you see and where you see it? Yeah, it was right when we were walking up. Victor will kind of take a puff, the cigarette. It was more to the right, kind of where we're standing now, actually. Uh, no offense, just because I don't really know how all of this works, do you have to, like, put your hand on the dirt or something to, like, channel it? You know, sometimes, but I don't think it will work here. It's more like if somebody had died, and then after the fact I, I came to that spot, I could touch certain things, say, for instance, the ground, and I'd get some sort of feeling or memory. I mean, I, could, I can try. Victor will take one last puff of his cigarette and uh, start to walk over and put the cigarette kind of like in between his, his fingers and his offhand. He'll walk over to the spot and kind of like look around, not really quite sure what he should necessarily be doing. And he'll not wholeheartedly put his hand on the ground yet, but he'll kind of do like a half crouch and just get himself closer to the earth. And um, then he'll gently kind of brush his hand across the grass of where he saw this person being pushed in a wheelchair and try to see if he feels anything or if he sees maybe just another vision or where they went, where they could be, just really open to anything, not really expecting anything to to work necessarily, just kind of seeing what happens. Do you need me to like recite something while you're doing this? I feel like I'm supposed to be saying something. Not necessarily, but uh, I will take encouragement. And I will just stand in this garden uh, yelling um, encouragement to him. Victor, as you place your hand down on the ground, can I have you make a sense roll? Yes, you can. I can do that. Uh, All right, we got to roll. We got to roll. Ooh, okay. It's one of my gilded skills, and I have six drives and in intuition, so I'm going to spend two of them. Just screw it. Let's see what happens. So I got a three, a four, which was gilded, and then two sixes. That's a critical success, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh. a critical success. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Okay. Yeah. So, Victor, as you place your hand down, you feel that same tether that you felt earlier. It's like a piece of string is attached at the palm of your hand, pulling you closer to the ground. And as you place it there, you see in front of you this shimmering blue light. Arthur wouldn't see it, but you see just kind of it flare forward. And you see those three figures again, walking away from you. Um, I'll immediately call out to Arthur and say, uh, I've, I've got the bite. <laughs> you know, I, I really can't see it, but I believe you and you're doing an awesome job, Victor. Keep keep touching the dirt. It feels like, uh, like a rope or a, a, a string. Um, I, I see them again, they are, they are walking. This image that you're seeing, Victor, of these three folks, the woman, the man in the wheelchair, and the young boy running around, you see it glitches and they're coming towards you. You kind of start to back away as you feel bleed coming off of this image that you're seeing in front of you. Uh, and as you look up to them, as they kind of glitch, you see their faces. You see uh, a young boy, golden wheat colored hair, blue eyes, 
you see this woman, the same one you saw before, and you get a better look from this angle at the individual in the wheelchair there, and you see Dominic. Oh. I think I'll call up to Arthur really quickly again. Um, okay, uh, I, I see Dominic. Like he's coming out the door? Like he, he's, he's with, he's with the group, uh, I, I'm, I'm sensing bleed, so I, I don't want to get too close, but... Uh, I mean, if, if it's not safe, pull out, I think that's... Uh, does it does it look like he's currently him, or does he look really old or really young? Oh, yeah, how does he look? Dom is emaciated. Looks like he has not eaten for months. He kind of looks like me. I'm not, like, looks-wise, but he's very thin. That's probably the worst adjective I'd ever used to describe Dom, so that's probably not the best. Yeah, think Dom if he was on my kind of diet. So dying, basically. That's the vibe. Yeah, I guess, yeah, dying. <laughs> Dying's actually a very good way to say how he looks. As you say this, the woman and the boy, their faces shift and they become similar, faceless, like the individual you just met with as what you just saw fades from your view. Okay, I... I think it's over, but the woman and, and child, their faces. Um, how, how do you feel about sharing it with Dom? Honest opinion, this is honesty hour between you and me. I mean, I feel like I can share it with him, but the last mission, he seemed troubled. He had a hold of me at one point and kind of like how I was somewhere else, he was not there. I just don't want to anger him. I, I, I don't know. I feel bad about hiding information. I don't think we should hide it, but I do think the time and the place and the people we're around when we do tell him is going to be very important. Okay, so we, we just don't say it now, but at the right moment. When everything's calm, we can go ahead and talk to him. Low emotional stress. Yeah, maybe after this is done, and we leave. Maybe not after he's just seen his yeah. um, friend from the war's face. And, yeah. You know. When they disappeared, their faces, it mimicked his. It, it was featureless. It was blank. It was nothing. All right. And I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll mark down what he's told me in my note, kind of on a blank page, because I haven't heard of something like this so far. And I'll turn to Victor and say, I think it's probably best if we finish our smokes and get back there. Sounds good to me. Victor will take the take another hit from his a hit. Take another uh, puff from his from his <laughs> cigarette. It's not that kind of cigarette. <laughs> You'll take another hit from his. Oh my god! <laughs> You'll take another puff from his cigarette. Okay. Victor will take another puff from his cigarette and get up and and walk back over to Arthur. Before Marvin came out of the hospital room. Dominic was uh, is just around the corner. He steps out hearing Marvin's steps and uh, he's kind of sniffling and his eyes are a little bit red. And he says to Marvin, uh, pollen today, huh? This weather, it's uh, it's beautiful, sure, but uh, my sinuses, man. Let's get outside to Victor and Arthur. We got to get to Jimmy's place. That's what I want to do as well. We got to, we got to hurry. I'm actually quite worried. Yeah, we're going to relocate them right away. Also, um, just so you know, uh, I talked to James at the very end, and I don't think he was sure about what he saw. I think maybe he 
was a bit confused. Um, it seems like it was just some creatures that attacked him, but I don't think he knew what he meant by, like, they wanted something back. He couldn't elaborate. Dom's going to look down at Marvin, his eyes calm and level. Sure, Marvin. Yeah, let's get to Jimmy's. As you exit the hospital, you see Victor, Arthur, returning to the front, finishing their smoke, the carriage still waiting. As you all gather around with the information that you have gathered, where would you like to go next? What would you like to explore after meeting with James here? I would ask everyone, but I'd be pushing really hard to go to Jameson's place first. I think we really need to go there. He said he left Judy and Elizabeth there. And if that's where he got attacked, I think we need to A, check it out, and B, like, I don't think they're safe, to be honest. Yeah. Dominic's going to give the driver the address. There's no question where we're going. Everybody in. As you all get back into the carriage, you head towards the district and evermore known as the Chalice. As you head there, passing by some vehicles as cars are starting to become a more accessible thing here in Evermore. Can we make one stop? Of course. Of course, yes. The Chalice District, uh, I remember coming up here, there's a little toy store on the way. We've got to stop in there for a minute. I'll give the driver the address. The coachman grabs the address, tips his hat to Dominic, and heads to stop the little toy store. As you enter in, bright colors, you hear little trains going around, every colored wooden building block that you can imagine, dolls, every kind of toy a child could ever dream of. All this fun and bright colors. He knows this place. He's been here a few times, usually special occasions, but he does a beeline right to uh, the stuffed animals. He finds the bunny with the floppiest ears he can find trying to keep his eyes level, just looking out the window, trying not to call up any other memories. Dominic goes up to the cashier. Dom, I'm going to say in this moment, going through the thoughts, the memories coming back to you as you enter this toy store, I'm going to say you're going to take a brain. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, boy. And that itch to calm your nerves is lingering. Yeah, I might take another bump even after the hospital bump. Uh, as the cashier takes the little bunny with the floppy ears, looks at the tag, snips it off. They ask for the money as you hand it to them. Uh, the, the cashier looks to you, this man in his early 30s, almost overdressed for the toy store, wearing dress pants, a nice long sleeve shirt that has the sleeves rolled up in a vest, his hair kind of slipped to one side. Dominic thinks, please don't start a conversation with me. Please don't start a conversation with me. So do you want me to you want me to wrap that up for you as a gift or anything? Maybe a gift bag if you have it, or a simple bow, something. Yeah, I can do a bow. Not a problem. We're all out of gift bags right now, but I can do a real fancy bow here for you. Hold on one sec. He pulls Simon and you hear the shears cutting the ribbon paper as he does a quick little yellow bow and hands it back to you. There you go. All good to go. Whoever's getting that will be really excited. I, I hope so. I look up at the window and maybe nod at the carriage driver that I'm on my way out. But uh, I will stop in the little vestibule, take out my snuff box. I'm going to cover it with my back. I'm big enough that way. Take my second sniff of glimmer. I'll maintain my pollen excuse and allergies when I get into the carriage again. 
make sure you mark down your two marks for the two times you've used your snuff box for me. Two snuff marks. You get back into the carriage and continue the rest of the trek to the McKinley residence. When you arrive, you see a quaint mid-sized home on the edges of the city in this up-and-coming residential district here in the Chalice. We focus on the four of you as you stand on this well-kept porch outside the residence. Looks like it was painted recently. This stark white seems to accent the beautiful grayish-blue paint that is on this house here. One of you approaches, knocking on the door, as you hear the faint sound of footsteps approaching the door. Standing there, you see a little girl, maybe six or seven years old. Her hair is braided, but extremely curly. Like, they're pigtails, but they're high pigtails because of all the curls. And she's wearing this little navy and red dress. Looking up at the four of you, her big eyes wide, you hear in the distance uh, the voice of a mature woman calling. Elizabeth, what are you doing? As you see this timeless beauty of a woman appear from a side room, her hair up, wearing a modest tunic and a hobble skirt. Her eyes lock with Dominic, then Marvin, as she moves forward, picking up her daughter, uh, as she places her hand on Marvin's shoulder, squeezing it warmly, and leans into Dominic for a hug. Dominic knows he's good at these. He'll give her whatever comfort he can. And he reaches out with uh, the bunny. Hey, Lizzie. I, I stopped on the way. I got you something. Her eyes get even bigger than they were before. You see this big old smile come upon her face. And she looks at Judy and then back at Dom, back at Judy again, then the bunny. And she reaches out her little hands, like grabbing for it. And what do we say? Thank you. As she grabs the bunny with the floppy ears and she gives it a big old squeeze as you watch Judy place her down and get down at eye level with Elizabeth. And you see this smile on Judy's face, but you can tell it's more she's doing it for her daughter in this moment. Mm -hmm. And as she looks at Elizabeth, you'll have to come up with a name for him. Why don't you go grab a couple of your dolls and your new bunny and go play out back. Mom will be right out, okay? You see Elizabeth nod as she bolts off, running down the hallway, cutting into uh, another room as you hear the sound of a swinging door and it's shutting as she runs to the backyard. As Judy gets up, looking at the four of you. I, I wasn't ex- expecting. How, how did you know? How, who, have you been? Oh, Judy, I don't know what to say. Uh, you know Marvin, of course. I'm Marvin. And this is Arthur and Victor. They're my colleagues. We have to get you out of here. But first, we, uh, we're going to have a look at the place. We need to investigate what happened with Jimmy. All right. Yes, if, if you want to come in, um, can I get you all anything to drink or uh, a snack or something? Um, and, and yes, I'm sorry. Uh, having a child, you're always thinking about snacks and um, sorry, that was my apologies. Um, oh, no, every time I look at Victor, I want to give him a sandwich. You, you are quite frail, my dear. I'll, I'll make you all lunch after. That, that's not really necessary. You, you don't have to do that. I, I, had a, I had a big lunch on the way over here. He's not telling the truth. You can tell by the way he looks. Oh, okay. I mean, come on. But in all seriousness, we're more going to need to just make sure you're safe and that um, nothing odd's going on in the house. 
Was anything odd before, like, this happened? Nothing beyond his normal... I mean, I think it's something that a lot of a lot of y'all went through when you came back from the war. I mean, it, no, it's different from everyone, but he has just those moments when he stares blankly, and I have to bring him back here. He's somewhere else, but beyond that, he's been normal. He's he has a good job and had a good job. Uh, I, I he was I don't know Marvin. I I don't I can't get that out of my head seeing him like that. And Elizabeth saw him? No. Uh, Yeah. Who found him? I did. Okay. Where was he when you found him? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, And she walks you to the stairs. They go up about 10 feet before they shift up to another set of stairs, um, like an L-shaped set of stairs here. Before she goes up, she looks to Victor and Arthur. It's nice to meet you both. Um, kind of an interesting time to meet new people. Um, but yes, follow me this way. Uh, as she walks up the stairs, bringing you all to the bathroom where she found Jimmy. Everything's pretty tidy. Their bedroom's very tidy, well-kept, nothing out of place, but it doesn't look like anyone has slept in here for a few days, clearly. As you walk towards the bathroom, you see that it has not been touched. The door is broken inward, like something was thrown against it. Clearly there was some type of force. Like was it was it broken from the from the inside out or from the outside in? From the inside, from the inside. Okay. It just looks like something was thrust into the door. Yeah, a struggle. As she kind of opens a door, she's very hesitant about it, but she opens the door to show you, and you see that the mirror is cracked. Um, Judy, we're going to have a look around. Uh, could you maybe, you know, get Victor a sandwich? I'm really not that hungry. I don't believe you. So do you want... <laughs> a, do, do you want a ham, a turkey, roast beef, a veggie sandwich, whatever you prefer? Uh, you can choose Dominic's preference, and if I'm hungry, I, I'll eat it, but if not, Dominic can have it. I think he could do with some red meat. Peanut butter and jelly, got it. Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting peanut butter and jelly. I mean, I'll take one. I don't want to seem greedy, but a sandwich sounds nice. Sure. I'm just trying to get her out of the room, guys. <laughs> Arthur? Um, do you have tea by any chance? Yes, I can make you some tea. Chamomile, or do you want Earl Grey? Uh, you know, I'm always stressed. I could do some chamomile. Okay, all right. She gives Dom a squeeze on his arm, same to to Marvin, and smiles at Victor and Arthur there. It's not a forced smile, but you can see she's caught in between, like, not trying to break down and trying to keep her shit together as she leaves you all in this space here. When she leaves, Dominic lets out a sigh, like he lets his shoulders slacken now. He doesn't have to uh, pretend to not be as concerned as he is. Victor, did you sense anything on her? Anything strange? I mean, not really. I'm. She seems nice. I, I don't know. Sorry, I don't really know how your thing works, so I feel kind of bad using you like a detector. She smelled a little weird, but, you know, that that's it. I just, I have a sensitive nose. Oh, okay, I was wondering if maybe your vision's tied up with smells. Good to know. I, it, you know, sometimes I, I get smells from vision, just like any other sense, you know, I, I see them, I, I hear them, I smell things that aren't there, but I, I, th- you know, I, I think that I was just smelling something for real. I, I don't think it was anything. There is a lot of pollen today, so yeah, I, mm, yeah, I hear you. yeah. It's it's that's uh, 
it's that season, you know. As you all are having this conversation, looking at the space here, Dominic, as you look at the mirror, seeing your reflection, you notice something behind you. You see what looks like a young boy, a face you haven't seen in years. I spin. I might knock someone down if they're close to me, but I spin fast. Hector? As you spin, calling out that name, you hear the sound of footsteps running down the hallway. Um, Hector isn't here. I pretend not to hear Marvin. I storm out. I'm after it. Big, heavy footfalls. Okay. You watch as Dom heads in that direction. Tunnel vision. He almost crashes into some of you as he leaves. Uh, As you hear him march off, what are the rest of you doing? I think I'm looking to Arthur kind of like for guidance as to what I should do. Kind of like, I don't really know how these things go. Do I follow or do I stay? Yeah, I think I just like, I don't say anything with my eyes. I kind of give like a, what do I do? I catch Victor's glance and I kind of turn, kind of hush tone to him. I go, I think this is one of those moments where he's going somewhere, like you mentioned before. Should I, should we follow? Um, yeah, how about this? Keep an eye on him, give him a little bit of space, but keep him in eye shot and I'll take a look at the mirror, see what I can figure out. Okay, yeah, it sounds good. Just like scream if something's happening. Okay, yeah, I, I can do that. <laughs> I give him a clap in the back and then I'll walk over towards the mirror. Ah, not too hard. Marvin's super grateful. Like, there's a big sigh of relief. They wanted to know what was in this mirror, but they're afraid to look at the moment, so. But they're going to stick her right behind Professor Wright and just kind of watch. Arthur, you walk to the mirror. Kind of walk us through what what is Arthur's process in this moment. I'm going to see if I can look specifically at the points of contact at where the shattering happened and see if there's residues, uh, if it appeared to be, you know, struck with something blunt, sharp, or if it even seemed to come from inside the mirror out. Probably the biggest thing that I'm trying to pay attention to to see. Okay. I'll turn to Marvin for a second and be like, Team Demon Mirror, right? It's the good team. Um... Those aren't the words I would have used to describe it, but... Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And then I'm going to lean in close and see what I can check out. Also, you want to use this little uh, lead detector I have? I don't want to get close to it at the moment. Sure, I'll take it. And I'll, I'll go ahead and take it and hold it up there. I'll go. But remember, the best lead detector is your own nose and eyes. Amazing. I'm going to ask, what does Marvin's bleed detector look like? Because they're all unique. Yeah, so I wear like a gold chain and it's clipped to the end of it. It's this like raven. It's rather large and flat, almost like a brooch, but it's a raven and its mouth is wide open. It's probably a couple inches circle with how big this raven's mouth is. And through it, there's like this translucent film and that's what you can see the bleed through. Amazing. All right, so as you hold that up, go ahead and make a focus roll for me, Arthur. I'll use a one drive on it. All right. That is a six not gilded. Dang, y'all with the sixes tonight. All right. As you look at it, with the, the bleed detector, you can see what looks like wisps of bleed coming out of the cracks in the mirror, and you didn't see them with the naked eye. As you hold that bleed detector up to it, you can see it just pouring out like smoke. 
the way the the mirror is broken, you can see multiple reflections of yourself and Marvin standing behind you. You can see the the image of you holding the bleed detector device, Marvin standing there, but then you see the body kind of move unnaturally, not doing what you're doing there, uh, as the glass continues to... And you just see hundreds of faces, not just yours, but hundreds of faces within each individual part of the mirror that has cracked. Their mouths open wide and you just see darkness envelop the mirror as it crashes in front of you. I'm gonna look down and see if I still see those faces in the pieces of glass on the ground as well. Do you use the bleed detector to continue to look? I think at this point I just look straight down, and if I don't see anything, I'll kind of very warily hold the bleed detector over it. When you do look down this time, even without the bleed detector, you see your face and all of the the small fragments there, but then it shifts to Marvin, to Dominic, to Victor, before there's nothing there, no reflection any longer, as if the mirror has lost its ability to reflect what you do? I thought you were just gonna look at it. I'll be honest, Marvin. And I and I don't use this a lot because I've seen a lot of things. That was some spooky shit. I'm not gonna lie. What'd you see? There was a lot of faces. There was my face. There was your face. You know, because you were behind me. Uh, then there was about a hundred other faces. No idea. Clearly not typical-looking people. Um, Mouths opened, shot at the mirror, and they still appeared to be in the reflections on the ground as it happened. And um, now it doesn't seem reflective at all, which I'm not sure how that's affected the physical properties of glass and mirrors themselves, which is another conundrum. Um, But I think it's safe to say, at a minimum, we're not alone in this house. As you say that, we cut to Dominic as he follows the sound of the footsteps. You enter the room there, Dominic, uh, and you see that it is Elizabeth's room. Uh, As you walk in, there is a twin-size bed to the corner, a bookshelf with all kinds of books upon it. The room is bright and colorful, much like the toy store you were just in. You see in the corner there are a bunch of stuffed animals neatly placed, and then in front of you, you see a closet door that is slightly ajar. My instincts are to reach to my holster get my sidearm, my trusty 44. Do I hear anyone coming after me down the hallway at all? You would hear Victor. All right, I'm going to walk up to the door, put my hand on the doorknob. The door itself will be between me and the interior, and I'm going to wait for Victor to get to the door. And I already have my finger up to my lips to shush him. Victor, you arrive seeing Dom, their finger up to their nose, uh, up to their their face. <laughs> My nose. <laughs> don't smell. Whatever you do, don't smell. Victor. I know you got that I nose. Think I found the smell. I think I found the smell. Victor, as you arrive at the door, looking in, you see Dom, their finger up to their mouth, telling you to be quiet, their gun in their hand. Victor's just frozen, um, waiting for for uh, Dom to give him any type of command. He, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> So Dominic recognizes uh, that posture. Now, the angle of the closet door compared to the door to the room, when I open it, does that give a clear view from the door? Like, does the door open and obscure the closet from uh, Victor's view? 
No, Victor would be able to see it from where he stands. Right. Okay. I'm going to have to be in between Victor and the closet door then. So Dominic turns uh, t- towards the opening of the door to keep himself in between whatever may or may not be inside and Victor. Unfortunately, that'll obscure his view, but its uh, I don't want Victor to be a target. So I'll be in full view of whatever may be in the closet when I open it. But I am ready to shoot. Okay. As you stand in front of the door in a more defensive stance to make sure you're protecting Victor, you swing the door open, gun still drawn, and what you see are a variety of dresses and clothing stacked to the side, but your eyes are drawn to something on the back of the wall. What looks like a child's drawing of a house. You see there what looks like a a husband and wife and a child. But you notice that the face of the man is smudged out. In that same moment, you hear like the sound of almost like chalk on a chalkboard as you see two more figures being drawn and then two more. There are four there, each of them with names above them. You see Dominic, you see Marvin, you see Alejandro, you see David, and you start to see the faces of Alejandro and David become smudged. Okay. Now I came in here looking for Hector, but the this room didn't present me with anything like that. So I had to assume that I wasn't right for a moment. Unfortunately, I'm not unfamiliar with that sensation. <sighs> I blink a few times. Does the picture revert back? Uh, does it continue to blur if they weren't entirely blurred yet? Like, can I snap out of it? It seems like it's still blurring them. Victor, you would simply see Dom kind of like trying to snap out of it. But Dom, you would hear, Dad? Dad? Where's the voice coming from? To the right of you, where all the stuffed animals are. My gun will dangle from my finger, and my arms will be at my sides, and I'll turn directly to the pile of stuffed animals. As you move the stuffed animals, you see they are hiding amongst them Hector. And he just, like, puts his hand up to Dom's face. And at this point, Victor, you would see this. As your senses kick in, you see this young boy. And in that moment, in your brain, it snaps. You've seen this little boy before. Oh. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. I'm trying to figure out if I should yell for someone or if I should stay here. I think your reaction is honestly perfect in this moment. So (laughs) I think... Okay, yeah, maybe it's just that. Maybe I'm just stunned. I'm like, oh, I I, I make the connection and I'm, I'm, I'm there with Dom. All right, so as Victor stands there stunned, trying to wrap his head around this, what is Dom doing as Hector places his other hand on the other side of Dom's face? Dad? It was so cold. I made it through the nights, remembering the warm embrace of my family, my wife, my son Hector. I missed him so much. I was doing horrible things over there, unmentionable things trying to keep him safe. And all, all I've wanted to do was hug him. So yeah, I'm pulling him close. As you go to pull Hector close, Victor, you hear the sound of glass 
breaking from down the hallway where Marvin and Arthur were, shifting your focus in that direction for a quick second, but still keeping your eyes on Dom. As Dom embraces his son, you see the fingers on this little boy that is wrapped around his neck begin to elongate into these sharp claws, and they look like they're about to plunge into the back of Dom's neck. And that's where we're going to end tonight's episode. Oh, 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 I could feel it. Very good. Oh, amazing. Uh, right before his fingers go in, Victor uh, leaves the room to take a potty break. <laughs> <laughs> hold that thought. Hold, hold that right thought. there. Hold, hold, hold. <laughs> let's, let's save that for after hours, Victor. Come on. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, y'all. All right, cool. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the third episodes of Streets of Nevermore, The Circle of Dawn's Macabre. We're going to pick this up in our After Hours chat. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our Patreon. Um, you can follow the link in the show notes. But we will see you uh, for the next episode and see what the hell is going on down in the McKinley house. Catch y'all then. Hello, hello, Kylie Hollop here, Game Master of Season 1 of the Streets of Nevermore podcast. I wanted to take a moment to shout out our Patreon subscribers, Benjamin Hadler, Kenneth Torek, The Final Homes, and Seth George for your support. If you are interested in becoming a patron of the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash dicecape to learn more about the available tiers and the perks you get for becoming a Dicecape Patreon subscriber. Some of those extra perks and bonus content is available now on the Patreon, including Victor Krause audio logs and office hours with Professor Wright and a lot more. Links to our Patreon will be found in the show notes and a link to a video breaking down the various Patreon tiers. Your patronage helps support our small team scattered across the country put together each episode as we continue to refine our craft, utilize better resources so that we can deliver continually evolving episodes throughout the remainder of the season and beyond. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to sharing the next episode with you soon. Bye-bye. Streets of Nevermore, a Dicegate podcast, was created using the Darrington Press Community Gaming License. The Illuminated World Standard Resource Document is owned and copyrighted by Darrington Press, LLC, 
All rights reserved. Streets of Nevermore, the Dicecape podcast, is adapted and based on content created and owned by Darrington Press. Candela Obscura, Darrington Press, LLC 2023. Available at DarringtonPress.com.